0: Hi friends, I don't know about you, but welcome to episode 22 of Internal Budget. I'm Brandon Mackey, staff writer for silver and your spiritual guide on this podcasting journey. Make sure you download, subscribe, and or follow the podcast, share it with your social circle of 10 people, and hit me with that 5-star rating. Little things that go a long way, and your old buddy Brandon really appreciates it. We have a very special guest today here on the podcast. She is formerly an Ottawa Senators season ticket holder and an Ottawa Senators expert, as described by the CBC. She is also the co-host of TSN 1200's That's What She Said, along with Michaela Schreider and, as I like to call her, the Queen of Sen's Twitter. Folks, there is no bigger fan of the Ottawa Senators on this green earth. Give it up for the incomparable, Shyla Anwar. Shaila, welcome. Thank you for doing this.
1: No problem.
0: Why don't we start off with you telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, you obviously need no introduction, but I like to start every episode by someone kind of putting themselves in their own words. So, for those of you, for those of uh, our listeners out there who aren't familiar with the Queen of Sense Twitter, why don't you give them a brief rundown?
1: Well, that seems a little bit uh, much. I, I, I like to say I'm a, a almost famous, uh, slightly very downtown local celebrity Um, (laughs) for those that don't know I am in fact brown and a girl it's a big part of my identity because I can't exactly change that Um, I've been a Sens fan for I wouldn't say right when they arrived in Ottawa but pretty close thereafter I was a hockey fan long before that and you know I'm kind of where everybody else is with not only the SENS, but sports. It's been it's a weird time in history where you know that thing that used to occupy hours and hours and hours of our lives has just sort of disappeared completely, vanished off the face of the earth. And so, what do we do next? Um, I'm from Ottawa, uh, basically born and raised here. And uh, again, that's a big part of you know, where I'm from and why I am the way I am. And uh, sometimes I like to say things on Twitter.
0: (laughs) I definitely hear you. We're kind of stuck here with our own thoughts and I don't know if I like it, but in a way it's been good because it's kind of revealed some things in our society that we need to work on. And (laughs) it's allowed us to really get the updates that we need in terms of coronavirus and everything. And it's probably played a big role in keeping people safe, Shella, I want to talk about uh, you growing up as a brown girl and as a fan of hockey. But as we sit here, there's kind of an elephant in the room. The Sens Foundation and the Ottawa Senators had a messy divorce this past week. Uh, Rick Gibbons of the Ottawa Sun wrote a frankly scathing piece on Eugene Melnick's organ project. Uh, Melnick threatened litig- litigation. The, Sens- the Sun issued a correction and an apology what do you make of this whole mess? And at the end of the day, does this fall into the category of another Eugene Melnick embarrassment?
1: I mean, I don't know how it can't. I, I know there was a sort of, I wouldn't say retraction, but an apology, which is usually something that you have to do to sort of avoid, you know, some, somebody somebody's sent someone a strongly worded letter, probably signed by a lawyer. Um, I'm not going to say that there, there was a le- any kind of legal action taken, but you know that's the kind of response you give when someone's sort of um, threatening something along those lines. And you know if this was one incident that happens from time to time in a large organization and business decisions are made, okay. But we're talking about the Ottawa Senators here, a, a team that can't seem to stay out of the news for all the wrong reasons and so you know it's another one of those types of stories so here we are i mean i'm trying i'm trying to think of another organization a sports organization that every single one of them have some kind of a foundation and it's sort of the ch- the arms length charity that's where they can filter you know that's sort of the here's the stuff we're doing in the community to justify you know, all the, all the resources and money and whatever that we make. And, and like, how do you screw that up? Exactly? <laughs> I'm, I'm just, you know, if there was a rule book about how to, there's two people I can think of that as businessmen have managed to make everybody's, lives somehow worse around them one is donald trump the other (laughs) is eugene melnick so everything he touches sort of has that smell and so does this situation smell i don't know who's right or who's wrong maybe this happens a lot but for the foundation to release put out that press release to sort of essentially indicate the divorce i mean they're having a competitive process to find another organization because they can't uh, they can't make a deal with the one that's been associated th- with them for more than 20 years. You know, these things only seem to ever happen to <laughs> I you know, It only seems to ever happen to Eugene Melnick. And so here we are again. I've also never really heard of anybody being sued by a casino. And, you know, again, (laughs) we've got that. So, yeah, it's another in a long line of uh, bad press things that somehow always seem to happen to this organization and to him. And I feel bad because, you know, again, this is where Ottawa being a small town uh, comes into play because, uh, especially if you're associated in any way with the Sens, or you know, you go to Sen game, Sens games. The Sens Foundation is sort of very present in all things um, related to the Ottawa Senators. So Daniel Robinson, who's been who's been the I guess executive director of the foundation for a number of years now, you know, she's a present, very present in the community, and you hear about all the things that they do, and and you know. Are these sports foundations 100% humanitarian charities that are, you know, solving all of the world's problems and ending world hunger and bringing world peace? No, they're not. But, you know, we see the activities that they do with whether it's young kids getting their first, you know, set of hockey equipment or first time they've ever skated or getting to meet A hockey player, which I I imagine as a six or seven-year-old would be, you know, one of the most exciting things that can happen to you. All those types of things, you know, they do a good job with that. They raise a lot of money. Um, You know, is there room for improvement? Probably, but on balance, are you going to say that it's a negative it's one of the few positive things that ottawa, the Ottawa Senators could point to is that their charitable arm has done raised a lot of money in the community and uh, done a lot of good. And now they've they've ruined that. So it's it's par for the course.
0: Yeah. And the insane thing that I couldn't believe was, in that statement that Melnick and the Senators put out, um, not only did they kind of blast Rick Gibbons and blast the Ottawa Sun, but they took the opportunity to take another shot at the foundation. And yeah. they said, and they said, well, the foundation, um, the reason that they can't keep up with costs is not because of their rent; it's because all their uh, all their head office staff makes six figures, <laughs> right? Like it was, yeah. it was a kind of unbelievable ping ponging of blame and the foundation has yet to say anything so do you think there's something to that maybe like do you think the words might choke you but do you think Eugene Melnick is is right in that sense or is it just deflection
1: of course i mean of course in in any this is like is let's put uh i'm just trying to think of like a really horrible historical figure i don't know i <laughs> Let's put Darth Vader and Mother Teresa side by side, and who on who are you? Whose side are you going to be on? Right. I mean, most people will be on the Mother Teresa side. Is everything that Mother Teresa said uh, and did is that all pure and perfect and without any kind of criticism? Probably not. And uh, you know, we like ta- M- Michaela and I on on our show, we talk a lot about how we all have to be careful about not putting our heroes on too high of a pedestal because uh, humans are imperfect by nature and and we have to be careful about giving attributes to somebody that they may not themselves be able to live up to because uh, you do that as kids, but we even do that as adults, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so are, is the foundation going to be perfect? Probably not. It's a foundation that... Uh, is associated to a hockey team. Hockey teams are not created to be altruistic community uh, organizations. They're there to make money. This is this is the you know whether it's a tax write off or a way to sort of justify all of the money that flies around for the NHL. I, I, it, I I'm not saying it's a bad thing for an organization that makes a lot of money to have a charitable arm. It's it is. But let if you want to look at it cynically, they do it for reasons, PR, whether it's PR reasons, tax reasons, whatever the case may be. That being said, if in doing the stuff that they do, they make some kids have a good day in an otherwise bleak existence, then I don't think that's a bad thing. I spend, you know, as a season ticket holder, I spent way too much money on, the Ottawa Senators, whether it was buying tickets or whatever, but did they bring me a lot of happiness? If I go back in time, in history, I'm sure somewhere down, down way in the depths of my <laughs> soul, they did make me happy. It's, it's hard to find those moments because all of the happy moments are imme- followed by immediate sadness. Like the, the, the next day, you know, something bad yeah. happens. If for every good thing, there's a bad thing. So it's kind of sort of the same thing. And again, I I find to me, I mean, the reaction in Ottawa hasn't been outrage or uh, shock or anything. It's just, oh, here we go again. Mm -hmm. And nobody's surprised. And it's, again, another in a long line of everything bad, that happens from the for the Ottawa Senators seems to all point and go back to one central source. That whether it's fans don't want to go, I mean, the, the, their foundation doesn't want to work with them. How bad yeah. is that? How bad is that? So it's it's like when when an athlete does something wrong and their Nike drops them as a as a sponsor. There's a <laughs> Nike isn't perfect, but eh, probably there's a good reason. So so one day there'll be whether it's the Thirty on Thirty or a book or an HBO special on this era of the Ottawa Senators, at, at some point it will end and someone will write that book. And it'll be very uh, illuminating to hear the backstories that will come out about this whole period.
0: Where does this fall in terms of the Eugene Melnick story? Is this something, is this going to be one of those things like the Eric Carlson trade that defines his legacy or is it just another facepalm for the fans?
1: I think if it had happened, you know, two years ago, it would have been a more significant type of a thing. This is just confirming everything else that we already felt. Mm-hmm. That That is honestly how I feel. I'm not surprised. Um, And it doesn't change my mind about anybody or anything, and nor does Eugene Melnick's letter or complaint or, you know, maybe in this case, even if there was something right in what he said, and I'm not at all saying that that's possible, but let's say it turns out he's right and, and they are terrible and badly run and pay everybody too much money. It doesn't change how I feel about Eugene Melnick. It doesn't change my mind about how horrible I think he's been for the city, for the franchise. I, he's not just ruined the hockey club. he he by screwing up the Le Breton deal, he's left his mark on the city of Ottawa. That is a that is a a thing that will change the city of Ottawa and uh, in terms of how it will look and how our broader community is going to be 15, 20 years from now, that's going to be his legacy, that everything he's touched has somehow managed to turn awful.
0: On the opposite end of that spectrum, in terms of legacy in the city of Ottawa, you have Daniel Alfredson, who, for lack of a better term, is a god in in (laughs) the city of Ottawa. You are correct. (laughs) The Hall of Fame vote's coming up. on Wednesday, Wednesday, June 24th. Alfie's been eligible for a few years now, but he's so far been always a bridesmaid. So, Mm -hmm. Shyla, let's say I'm giving you a direct line to the ears of the Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee. Make the case for Daniel Alfredson to be a Hall of Famer this year.
1: Well, there's no case to be made. It's absolutely obvious. I think, though, the one thing I will say is, in terms of timing, I like, but I don't, I mean, Alfie should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not even going to get into it personally because I think everything I say is going to be obvious to anybody who knows me. And what am I going to say to, how could I possibly, everyone who knows me, how could I possibly have any position other than he should be in the Hall of Fame? He should be in the Hall of Fame. There's no doubt in my mind. I agree. And and not only that, uh he, he's the franchise-defining player for, for this organization. He put the franchise on the map, and, and he is the Hall of Famer for this, this franchise at this point in its existence. Um, I, I would have loved it if it had happened last year, his first year of eligibility, but it didn't. And now that it hasn't happened, like, to me... Um, when he gets into the Hall of Fame, and I believe that he will, um, you want the organization that he's basically associated with to be able to fully celebrate that and to celebrate him. And I feel like that ain't happening. Like, that ain't happening. Mm-hmm. We're lucky that we got those moments that we did, the the game where he came back and skated in the, the like his last game that was an unbelievable thing that happened after everything that went down for that moment to be given to us as fans but also to him as as a legacy player for this franchise is unbelievable and the jersey retirement again you know that bringing him back into the fold was so important to me as a fan and i'm sure it was important to him it was important for the for the organization and now that that has been broken twice, I mean, uh, under the current circumstances, I don't think the timing is right. If the, if the franchise was sold, I know that the, any, uh, unless, you know, the next worst person on the planet, if Donald Trump buys a lot <laughs> of the senators, <laughs> the then I don't worst. see Daniel Alfredson <laughs> coming back into the fold. But anybody else would be better at this point. Anybody else would be better. I mean, when they would remember, there was that thing that happened with uh
0: Robert Craft,
1: yeah, with his, yeah. Grand, his granddaughter. Was it? I mean, yeah. imagine being excited about that guy owning the Ottawa Senators, and we actually thought that that would be an improvement on things. So, whoever the next owner is, to me, it's a no brainer to invite Alfie back into the family where he rightfully belongs, um, and then let him be in the hall of fame so we can fully celebrate it. Right. That's yeah. kind of how I feel now. I also, there's, I have an issue with this whole year, although, you know, the hall of fame has nothing to do with the hockey season being halted, but yeah, I, that being said, am I going to be upset if he is named on, uh, on Wednesday? No, I'm not. The interesting thing uh, though, about last year is um, those, those, People who really know me know. I mean, I, I'm I'm older, much older than the Ottawa Senators. So uh, I became a hockey fan when I was six or seven, I think. And right. uh, there there were no Ottawa Senators at the time, and so I was the fan of another popular franchise
0: in oh, Canada,
1: no. oh, not the no. Toronto Maple Leafs. I know the anyways, worst. <laughs> anyways, well, look look. Here's the deal. If you were a kid growing up in Ottawa in the 80s, your options were pretty limited. You had basically two teams that were on TV, and that was it. That does not appall you. (laughs) I know that that the Oilers were the big up-and-coming team, but there was no such thing as the Hockey Night in Canada doubleheader. So you read about the Oilers in the newspaper, and you saw them maybe... In only when they made made it to the the semifinals or the uh, Stanley Cup Finals, they were a rumor until they became a dynasty. Even after they became a dynasty, there like I said, there was no such thing as a doubleheader game. So we used to have to in the playoffs, we used to have to go to bed when the Eastern game was over and wait till the morning for at a.m. to find out who won the hockey games the night before. You kids have no idea <laughs> who, how we suffered back in the day. And uh, anyways, there was a player that was named to the Hall of Fame last year that created a bit of controversy because let's just say most people would not see him as a Hall of Famer, but little Shyla, that was her favorite player. So oh, okay. when, it, when it came down to it, I mean, for there's two good things about that, though, because in naming Guy Carboneau, I I was a bit surprised, Let I'll be honest with you, I, he's not someone that you would typically think, even when he played for the Canadians, it's not like he was the number one player on the team, he was never the number one player, but he was an essential player in the time that he played, and so the fact that the Hall of Fame, look at a player like that, who maybe wasn't in the top even, 50 of scoring in the league and say no no he's he's a hall of fame player for the role he played for his franchise that to me makes the argument for alfredson being in in the hall of fame even stronger um so we're lucky in that the nhl i don't believe they have any kind of rules there's no rule where after a certain point in time you drop off the ballot so that'll uh i i don't know how they can avoid um, picking Daniel Alfredson at some point. I, I don't know if the reason why he's not being picked is because of the Ottawa Senators situation. I think it makes a big difference that yeah, there's no doubt that there's lobbying that goes on behind the scenes <clears throat> for who gets point who gets uh, nominated every year but and, and I cannot see anybody in the current Sens organization. Lobbying for Daniel Alfredson. So that probably has a big uh, part of it. So let's just wait for uh, somebody other than Donald Trump to buy the team and (laughs) then we can do it and do it right.
0: It definitely hurts his cause not having the backing of the team. And the one thing I don't like was if there was a year where he was going to be in, it was probably last year when you look at the competition. Yeah. Like, it's still bog- it, it still boggles my mind that Guy Carboneau and Sergey Zubov are in ahead of Alfie. And and don't get me wrong, those guys are both phenomenal players. But Alfredson, you know, like 0.93 points per game, um, just his legendary status in Ottawa alone, uh, he should be a shoe-in. And you factor in, there are two guys that are first-year eligible this year. One is Jerome Aginla, and the other is Marion Hosa. Yeah. So I don't like Alfie's chances going against either no. of those guys. Um, both, All three of them should obviously be in the Hall of Fame, but it's going to be really tough for Alfie this year. You talked a little bit... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, sorry, I just wanted to say, I mean, Aginla and Alfie are pretty close statistically, both yep. have not won a Stanley Cup. Both were captains of Canadian uh, franchises. I mean, again, I, I everybody sees Aginla as a no-brainer. I do, too. So by the same token, I feel like Alfie's a no-brainer.
0: I agree. Aginla has more uh, individual awards, more scoring awards, but mm-hmm. that, that point stands. Like, you know, for the emphasis that gets put on Stanley Cup's, uh, neither of them have a cup, right? And <laughs> that's supposedly been the one thing that's holding Alfie back, is not having a Stanley Cup. Um, although I'm of the opinion that had he been a Toronto Maple Leaf or a Montreal Canadian or even a Detroit Red Wing for his entire career, he'd be in already. I like,
1: agree with you, 100%. I agree with you. I think I think that he's wearing... Either he's wearing the unpopularity of Eugene Mount a little bit, mm-hmm. in the, if that's the case, um, or... It's really, I think, more to do with the fact that there's nobody to advocate for him. You know, the yeah, we'll say it on Twitter, but I don't think anybody on the Hall of Fame uh, nominating committee is is listening to or reading my tweets.
0: No. If they were,
1: <laughs> they would know. I, that's, yeah. that's maybe that's that'll be my pandemic project for phase two if we go back into quarantine. Get Alfie in the Hall of Fame. Why not? <laughs>
0: It's got to be, it's probably a a combination of everything that's holding him back. You talked a little bit about the effect that bringing him back into the fold had, and, you know, the vacuum that was kind of left when he departed the second time. If by some miracle, Daniel Alfredson comes back to be a part of a Eugene Melnick Ottawa Senators organization, what effect do you think that would have on the fan base? Would we start seeing more people come back to the games or is it one of those things where nothing's going to change until Melnick's gone? Uh,
1: well, in the timeline that you're proposing, I don't see Alfredson coming back until Melnick is gone. Yeah, I mean so, you- so I think the two will go hand in hand and I think anybody, you know, Melnick leaving in and of itself, it'll be like, It'll be like that scene at the end of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom when the children are freed, They go, you know, running out. And it's like they've seen sunshine for the first time in, in you know, their young lives. We will be those little Indian children. That'll be me and my brother will be the Indian <laughs> children running out of the darkness. <laughs>
0: Shout out to dark. Oh,
1: we're free. We're free. That'll be us. I mean, I'll be the first one. I I said, I told them for a year that if you trade Eric Carlson, that's that's the straw for me. And uh, I'll be canceling my season tickets that day. And they traded him on a Thursday. And I canceled my tickets on a Friday. Eugene Melnick sells. And I'll be the first one calling to say, give me back my tickets.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because... um... I was actually going to ask you. I, I was pretty sure the Carlson trade was the thing that actually finally broke your back and made you cancel those tickets. I did so, it the
1: next day.
0: <laughs> I love that. I'm surprised you didn't do it like as soon as you saw the headline on SportsCenter.
1: Well, I think it was announced. It was like, wasn't it like 3 or 4 in the afternoon? It was, yeah. And I needed some time to calm down. I was pretty mad. <laughs> and I remember, I remember TSN 1200, they they were on the air I think it was for 36 hours straight, and I think I called like three times. I was listening (laughs) all night, and I'm like, I'm not calling and then I'd call, and I have another thing to say, so I was one of the angry mob. So I remember
0: that, yeah.
1: Once (laughs) I caught up on my sleep, I think, and you know, my ticket agent was like, I know, thank you, and we hope you'll reconsider expecting your email. I mean, so you, but I think in line hoping well I'll know my feet uh, I'll be back it'll be it'll be a no brainer for me Yeah
0: I was in my gross basement apartment here in Toronto and I was sitting at the table in our little makeshift kitchen watching the whole Nightmare take place on my laptop. I have my head in my hands and like just not moving like catatonic Probably for like half an hour and my roommates are looking at me like you poor bastard. <laughs> like it was <laughs> I, I, And I it was what was really funny or not, not so much funny as kind of poetic My dad is a lifelong Boston Bruins fan like Bobby Orr was his guy and the day Carlson came back to Ottawa uh, for that game, I sent him the picture of Carlson in a Sharks jersey and the first thing he replied with was Bobby Orr in a Blackhawks jersey. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so like it was that was a cool moment for me was just that kind of like I feel ya I, I understand as much as my dad is not a fan of the Senators for what they did to his Bruins in 2017. <laughs> that, that was a fun series in our house. But yeah. now that there's some separation from the actual Carlson trade And we're starting to see Ottawa beginning to maybe reap the rewards a little bit. You got Rudy Balsers, you got Josh Norris, you got a lottery pick. Has your stance on it softened at all? Not even from a hockey side of things?
1: No. No. Wow. No, because I think that marked, again, it's a paradigm-shifting moment for the franchise. I would argue that they didn't... Well, well, I think off the ice, they, they haven't recovered from the Alfredson thing. That was a shock to the franchise. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about winning and losing as though that's the connection between, um, you know, bums and the seats and Canada and not. And I mean, uh, someone today on Twitter was talking about, you know, being a fan in the olden days. The, uh, that was me. I had my first year of having season tickets was, I think, in year three. It was the year actually, ironically, I always say I joined the Ottawa Senators with Daniel Alfredson. He came out of camp and made the team. And that was the year that my lottery number came up because right. in, in those days, in those days when the senators played in the civic center, there was a waiting list for season tickets. And so when when the whole bring back the senators thing happened, I think I was finishing high school or I was in the first year of university, anyways. I had no money. But you mm-hmm. had to send in a $25 pledge. This was part of the the bid uh, that Bruce Firestone and company did. They asked for $25 pledges for season ticket holders. So when that was going down, I was still in high school. So I scraped together. I remember I had to go to the bank and i borrowed borrow some money from my mother to go get a money order to mail it in. And uh, I had my waiting list number and I I uh, wasn't it took three years for them to call my number and say we've got a spot for you I bought I think a quarter season package which was all I could afford we were two rows from the top of the of the Civic Center right and Daniel Alfredson and I joined the Ottawa Senators in the same year and we also basically left in the same year yeah um, So I think that was the first shockwave. And I think the nail in the coffin was probably um, the Eric Carlson trade. Because don't forget, too, we had the horrible aftermath of the 2017 playoffs, you know, the following year. Going Mm -hmm. into that season, who could have thought the crazy and horrible everything that ensued from basically it started from that Sweden trip and everything went downhill from there. Yeah, the
0: Duchesne trade, yeah.
1: Really? I like you know, because coming out of twenty seventeen, everything was looking just great. I remember being so excited about that Duchesne trade too. And yeah. anyways, we all know we all know what happened since. So I think, yeah, I think that was like the nail in the coffin for a lot of people. I think there's even the ones that sort of stuck around it's not like the carlson trade happened and and then a bunch of other things happened that or, or you know good things happened or nothing happened is i guess the problem if the carlson trade was the end of it they would have been able to make a case that it's also a hockey trade and we had to do it but look at all these other things i mean you know the history of the ottawa senators for the last 3 years it's not just Carlson that got traded it's not no. just the the and it's not even just that because of lack of money or whatever they're they're selling their players it's everything else you know being sued by a casino divorce from your from your your friggin' charity foundation yeah it's, it's just a non-stop one bad Hit after another. Well, not even a hit. These are all self-inflicted wounds. Mm-hmm. So, who wants to be associated with the team, like in an official way? Yeah, you you're not going to go to some NHL gathering. And wear your Ottawa Senators jersey with pride. You know that you're gonna wear it and take some hits, Definitely. <laughs> no matter yeah. where you go, right? Oh yeah. So, so that's kind of where we're at. So it is the Carlson trade is a thing for a lot of people I know, and and um, there's the one thing that will change that will be a change in ownership. I don't see, you know, they can they can hire lady gaga to come and perform the national anthem before every game and i don't think you're going to see fans going back there's one reason we the the best example i can give you know people say that people in ottawa are cheap or they don't want to spend the money i mean you saw what happened the other day when the announcement came and uh uh graham nichols six cents uh he sent out a tweet saying, "Let's raise the money for Trillium Foundation," because uh, that was in response to some kind of comment about how it was so hard to raise five thousand dollars in Ottawa or something for the right. organ donation, right? And mm. I think he stopped counting at the, by the next morning. There were eight, there was eighteen thousand dollars that was raised just by online donations. Yeah, that was all from Sense fans.
0: Yeah, almost five times the amount that Melnick raised.
1: With for free, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. So,
1: there you go, Eugene Melnick.
0: (laughs) Is there anything that could possibly happen for you to look at that trade and go, you know what, we won this? It sucks, but uh, it sucks, but we came out better for it.
1: Not really, not really, because so many bad things have happened. That are again self-inflicted gunshot wounds, one yeah. after the other, after the other, after the other, and and if well put it this way, if something good comes out of that trade, it'll be because of dumb luck, not because yeah. not because the senators did it for the good of the franchise. It, it's this is this is the best thing I can compare it to, and I know um in like i said i think the Alfie ch- departure the first one was a, like a earth shattering paradigm shifting moment for this franchise from which they had not recovered despite 2017 with the 2017 playoffs i think that had you know, that also included Alfredson coming back into the fold of the franchise, right? Yep. So it was starting to look like, oh, my God, we're back, right? Everything's okay. These things, some I, I could have chalked it up to, I may not, you know, I, I, I can move on from that. I can, I'm not going to forget it. Yeah. But I can forgive it. These things can sometimes happen. Certainly, Alfredson appeared to be ready to forgive that. And whether he did it because uh, he knew his place in Ottawa was solid and he deserved to have that legacy in spite of Melnick or whether there was actually, um, you know, they were able to patch up whatever their differences were, whatever the case was, it kind of felt, and then the playoffs happened in 2017 and, you know, Carlson was ridiculous things were kind of looking like, okay, we might we might be on our way back up, and then everything fell apart there. So it was almost like the first earthquake was Alfie leaving, and, you know, sometimes the, there are aftershocks, and sometimes maybe that wasn't the big one. The big yeah. one was two years later when Carlson left, and and like I said, anything that happens any success that they get or any positive outcomes from that trade will be dumb luck and not because they were engineering some kind of a positive outcome. Yeah. So no, I there's no, you know, even if they draft the next Eric Carlson, they had the first one and they yeah. ruined it. It's going to take a long time to trust anything that this franchise da- has, does as long as Melnik is in charge. What I was going to say, though, is what it reminds me of is when Gretzky got traded.
0: It does, I mean, yeah. that
1: was an earth-shattering moment for Canadian hockey, for NHL hockey, and certainly for the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, 25 years later, have they recovered from it? Perhaps. But what is it about the Oilers that they just can't get over the hump? Mm-hmm. nobody really knows but that that had a huge impact on them and I know they won the Stanley Cup the year after but that was a ridiculously stacked team and again that was they were lucky to have won that one and they haven't been close since and, and there's a reason for it
0: yeah I, I do think Pierre Dorian does deserve some credit for, you know getting the best that he can out of a bad situation mm-hmm. right he's yeah. Despite having to trade Eric Carlson, which I, I don't want to speak for him, but I can't imagine that's something he wanted to do at the time. But he, he got good assets for it. He got Eric Branstrom for Mark Stone. So things have turned out somewhat okay. Yeah. Um, but, in ter- but trading those guys in principle will always be a bad thing for Ottawa fans. I don't think it's something that Sense fans will ever look back on fondly. And especially for you canceling your season tickets that was a huge huge thing for you because I, I you have this big thread on Twitter where everything you've done as a season ticket holder you know and how much it's meant to you yeah
1: talk
0: talk to me a little bit about what canceling it canceling them was like as someone who lives and dies with the Ottawa Senators uh, both right away like that kind of raw feeling you had when you did cancel and as yeah. time has gone on yeah
1: um. It's funny because, uh, like, it was leading up to the 2017, it would have been the 2016-2017 season. I think it was that year. I can't remember if it was that year or the year before they started this fan for life thing. And, I mean, I, w- I had my se- they they'd started this auto-renew thing for your season ticket holders. Instead of having to fill out a big form every single year, you could sort of opt to do an automatic renewal yeah. And then they gave you the stand for life thing. And I thought, Oh, well, okay, that'll save me a couple of clicks of paperwork. And so I, it was a no brainer to do it. And I remember they sent me the email and to me it was like, Oh yeah. Okay. It, it was like, you know, you sign up for getting alerts for Netflix. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> it does, you know, <laughs> But you're doing that knowing it's, this is your agreement to spend a lot of money year after year and, I can tell you from not going to hockey games for the last three years, oh, my God, did I ever spend a lot of money. It, it wasn't just it, – it, and it's not just the tickets. It's all the other stuff that comes with it. Oh, I got to get some food. Oh, I'm going to meet some friends for dinner. Okay, we'll go out after the game. Mm-hmm. All those extra – you know, when they talk about this sporting event pumps X millions of dollars into the local economy, well – uh, those the my portion of that is being going into RRSPs and TSFAs, yeah. which are in the long run better for me, but maybe not so much for the senators. So, I mean, it was such a way of life. It's it's like you're giving up on a way of life. So mm-hmm. that's been an interesting thing because um, I think I thought I would miss it more. I think that I'm a little bit lying when I say I don't miss it as much as I thought I did because it everything associated with them I associate to Eugene Melnick and it no longer makes me happy like it used to so I'm okay with not going to the games I guess yeah it, it's, it's it's that last season when you know leading up to the trade deadline we were all expecting him to be traded and then it was like oh this is going to be his last game against the Montreal Canadiens oh this is going to be his last game against you know this team this is going to be his horrible. last it was horrible it was it was it was like you know when you're sitting with someone who's slowly dying of yeah. some horrible disease so every game and they weren't going to make the playoffs and all that hope from 2017 was lost and so you're going to every single game with this feeling of dread and that whole season was like that. And it wasn't fun to be a fan. It felt like a chore to go to games. So I think not having the tickets in the immediate aftermath was actually very, um, it felt pretty not, it, it didn't feel as bad as I thought it would. And, you know, since then, because the team hasn't been great, like last year I went to, well, last year, I'm already calling it last year, the yeah. current season. Um I've been to a few games. Um, and I would say, you know, I haven't been as angry <laughs> sitting in the stands as I was. I mean, after I gave up the tickets, the one game. I went back to in Ottawa was the Eric Carlson game. I I went to one other hockey game. So in Ottawa, we went to games in different cities. And then this year, same thing. My brother and I went to Vegas and Phoenix and saw the Senators there. And it was very freeing. First, Well, I mean, Vegas is just everybody's just happy and in a good mood (laughs) no matter what. So it was nice to be in an environment. Even Phoenix, I have to say, we had a ball at that game. Even though the Senators lost, the the, the atmosphere was, it, it was nice to be in an atmosphere where people were just happy to be there. And it's been a while since we felt that in Ottawa. Will yeah. we get that back? I think so. And then that's when I'll feel good about going again. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. and then this year is, of course, I actually I had tickets to the the there was a game in Mar- on March 18th against the Oilers. Oh, okay I was, I was supposed to go to that game but anyways
0: yeah now that we've had time to kind of accept this as our reality that this is the new Ottawa Senators not the Ottawa Senators of Eric Carlson and Mark Stone but the Ottawa Senators of Thomas Shabbat and Brady Kachuk yeah. what are your thoughts on on the rebuild? Do you, do you like the direction it's going in like do you think there's a light at the end of the tunnel for sense fans here?
1: Based on my experience, there are things to feel good about in the sense of if I go back to when Alfredson's first year came in and that would have been, I think it was Yashin's second year, um, then they drafted Chris Phillips, they traded for Wade Redden, they uh, got Jacques Martin as their coach, So they they were the team with a whole bunch of really high draft picks, number one picks or top five picks. And then it was that whole process of becoming a team, learning how to become a dominant team. Being a fan at that time, everything that was happening, it was always happening for the first time. The first time that they, they, you know, came close to making the playoffs, then they made the playoffs and then they won their first series. And you saw that young group, gel and become a team that's that's what Jacques Martin brought to the franchises took that group of ext- you know talented highly rated kids that needed to learn how to play together gave them a system that they could excel in and turn them into a team that could you know in the in the 2003 2004 period 2005 even this was a dominant extremely well-run organization and an extremely well-run hockey team with all of those players just coming into their own uh, it, it was such a great time to be a it was such a great time to be a Sens fan even even the losses to the Leafs like they I I they I always used to say those put scars on my heart but yeah you know the important thing was is that like That was such a central part of my life. It was such an important thing, and that I felt the losses, you know, personally. But that also made the victories so much sweeter. And uh, you know, the Stanley Cup, going to the Stanley Cup Finals, is something that I will never forget. It was Mm -hmm. an absolutely unbelievable experience. And then, you know, we had so many other magical. If I think of the Hamburglar run um, 2017, you know, that, again, it was a team that shouldn't have, there's, there's nothing better than the team that shouldn't do well uh, and then have them, everything just sort of magically fall into place somehow mm-hmm. and they're able to pull off these, that, this is why we watch sports, right? Yeah. And I, I don't know how they get that back I, I on the one hand like I, I the reason why I was mentioning those early days is seeing the young players learn how to become a dominant team is a pretty cool time to be a sports fan and so I'm if I'm a first generation Sens fan then some of you guys are the second generation you didn't see the, the them built from the ground no. up but then you're going to see you saw the team torn down and I would have to say it was torn down by the end of it. And now is a chance to see it build back up. But where the difficulty lies is I don't have that faith that they're building a hockey team to be a contender Yeah. because I don't trust the owner. So what the best I think you can hope for as a Sens fan is, that Dorian drafts well and he has historically been a good drafter and that's his strength. Um, so hopefully he doesn't overthink it and screw it up. And I mean, drafting is, is a crap shoot anyways. The key is to get as high as you can
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: because you're lowering your odds of getting a dud. Although again, this is a franchise that knows how to do that too. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Things are definitely looking up. Who knows what's going to happen with the lottery and how things will work. I I feel a little bit like the fact that the season didn't end the way it did. And they've now changed a little bit how the draft lottery is going to work. That means that we're not going to get that number one pick. Can we be okay with all the other number one picks that we have? I think like, who's got a, out of three? They can't miss all three. They can't right. miss all three. Yeah. So that's good. Now, to me, the biggest, biggest, biggest part of the Ottawa Senators rebuild is not what they do on the ice, it's finding someone to buy the team. Someone has to save this franchise from the owner.
0: I, I don't, don't think. Yeah. I, I don't think that's an unfair assessment at all. We've talked a lot about these iconic players like Daniel Alfredson and, and Eric Carlson and Mark Stone. Among the guys that the Senators have now, these young kids like Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat and Drake Batherson, And do you see any of those guys being able to have the sort of legacy that those other players have had in Ottawa? Do you see them living up to that uh, to the standard that was set for them?
1: I think they have to find their own way, and and I don't know. I mean, again, for for me, this will be a new thing because I'm used to that first generation. So who is who's gonna? You know, it's hard to re- replace your first favorite player or your yeah. first best idea of a captain. You're constantly going to be comparing. And whereas I think when it's that first time, you don't necessarily have a frame of reference to compare it to. I think also as you get older, you hopefully, you know, when sports lets you down over and over again, as you get older, you start to protect yourself. You know, you want to protect your heart against further damage. So you try to avoid those things. But invariably, invariably it happens. So we'll see. We'll see. who emerges as that sort of leader? I think it's a bit soon to tell, and again, I, I can't shake that feeling of, well, while I really like Brady, I know he's gonna be gone in four years, so I don't want to get too attached. I can't shake that feeling. i I feel it so strongly that I have almost it's almost like I avoid watching too many games now and I avoid getting too attached because I just don't want to go through it Right. so so for me it's really hard because I can't I'm not making the connection I think some of that has to do with not going to the games though I, I think for me that's such a strong uh, that's how I the bond is built with me personally um, it's weird because as a kid of course we didn't have um, an NHL team here so I grew up And fell in love with hockey by watching it on TV. And then I became a live NHL game person. And once I started going to games, I found it very difficult. All those things I used to hear back in the olden days about how it's a terrible TV sport. It really is not great on television. You know, some some sports like football, I find, is so much better to watch on TV than it is to watch live. Yeah. But, But hockey... The live experience is you just see the game so much better than you do when I always say the problem with watching on TV is that someone else is watching it for you. So mm-hmm. they're, they're focusing on the things that they want you to focus on, whereas when you're watching live, you can watch whatever you want. So for me, building the connection with the players comes from the energy or the feeling that you get from watching them live. So I don't have that attachment with them. Shabbat, maybe a little bit more because I saw him uh, a fair amount in his first year. But since then, like I haven't been around for Brady Kachuk. Yes, I'm watching on TV, but it's not the same for me.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Shiloh, this has been awesome. Thank you again for coming on. One, uh, One of the more popular conversations that's gone on in hockey over the last little while um and in the world in general has been about um diversity and and equity Mm -hmm. you've been somewhat vocal on twitter about your experiences as a minority hockey fan being a brown girl like you said talk to me a little bit about that what what was that like for you growing up not only you know as a brown person but as, as a woman growing up as a hockey fan
1: well, I mean, it's all I know. So it's hard to say that it should have been like this or it should have been like that. I mean, I grew up in Ottawa in the 80s and, uh, you know, in a part of town where literally I was the only person from Bangladesh in my school. I was the only person from right from uh, elementary school through high school and in uh, Ottawa itself has changed a lot since then, and it could be a function of the part of town that we grew up, my parents and I, uh, well, that that my parents chose to live in. Um, I can't really say. Uh, Hockey for me began as, uh, you know, my 7 year old diabolical brain (laughs) trying to beat my parents on my bedtime by... I I noticed because it happened, my dad was watching, there was a playoff series between the Canadians and the Nordiques, the Battle of Quebec. Huge, huge, huge rivalry. And my dad would get so into it that he, I noticed after, and I, I, like when I was little, I hated hockey because that meant the TV was taken up for three hours. For three hours, we had to sit there and watch a hockey game that I didn't care about. But then I noticed that my dad Didn't wasn't looking at the clock so much, and he kind of lost track of time. And before I knew it, it was 9.30. I was an hour past my bedtime before (laughs) he realized, and I thought, oh, this is a good deal. And then by the end of that seven-game series, I was like, okay, I want to know what's going to happen in the next round. This would have been when Steve Penny was this rookie goaltender for the the Montreal Canadiens, came out of nowhere and had a pretty good playoff run. Anyways, uh, that's how I got hooked and uh, then it became just the routine and so um, at school well I, I as I said I, I grew up in Ottawa and very close to the canal I grew up in the Glebe um, so that's in downtown Ottawa and so every day the, everyone was out on the rink either playing hockey or, or skating or whatever. And I used to always have hockey skates for some reason. I think it was just because my dad, my immigrant dad, didn't know any better and he got me the same <laughs> kind of skates as he had. And so I learned how to skate on hockey skates, which right away made me different from the girls. And it was myself and there was one other girl. She and I would just play hockey because we couldn't do the twirls and the figure skates. And I remember one year I said, no, no, I want white skates like the other girls. And he got me the white skates and I took two steps and face planted on the (laughs) ice and hurt myself pretty badly. And after that, I never got figure skates again. So, you know, I was always the only, often the only girl uh, or one of two or three other girls and i was for sure the only brown girl so it's kind of all i knew it didn't really stop me from going and and i just kind of got used to it i i don't know i i i grew up at a time where because i was the only one i tried as much as possible to not draw extra attention like when i was younger i would have never called myself brown girl in the rink i would have wanted to make it seem like I was like everybody else as much as possible, which I know sounds a bit ridiculous, particularly if you're a different skin color. I don't know how you can completely blend into a room full of white people, (laughs) but it it did become something that everybody associated with me. If you go back to um, actually, it's funny, a a friend, a Facebook friend or an old Facebook friend found a grade seven yearbook and you know of course the entry for me had something to do with hockey it just became a thing and everybody associated me as uh, oh Shyla. she's a, at the time a big Montreal Canadiens fan and then eventually I became a Senators fan and to this day it's it's the thing that people know about me whether it's at work or you know a friend of a friend I'll be introduced you know if someone's going to say something about Shyla, it'll be oh, she's a big sense fan. And that's really how I even ended up with the radio gig because uh, a good friend of mine uh, worked for CBC radio. And um, you know, many, 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 many years later, uh, the host of the morning show on CBC used to be Kathleen Petty. And she, one morning um, at one of their production meetings, said you know why do we keep getting all these we they, they used to have a sense panel and she's like why do we always get these dumb jocks can't we get a girl <laughs> in here to talk intelligently about hockey and so this friend of mine who I'd been out of touch with for about 15 years and then we we had she she left town and was working in different parts of Canada and then she came back to Ottawa and she's like oh I wonder if my friend uh Shiloh, she used to be a big hockey fan when we were growing up I can ask her and she called me up and said, "Would you do this radio thing?" And so I, I had no idea. I'm like, "Okay, I'd never done anything like it, and it was a bit weird, but I, oh, whatever. I—I can—I can keep talking if that's what they want." And I went in, and it was the day before John Paddock got fired. So that would have been 2000, and just after Eight. the 2007 um, Stanley Cup playoffs, remember? And everybody yep. thought. Ottawa's gonna be back and whatever and then they things didn't quite work out that The wheels fell off yeah right and but it was crazy to think you know this is a team that just went to the Stanley Cup playoffs yes they've had a bad year they're not going to fire the coach so I go on the radio and uh, you know we're talking about why are things going wrong with the Ottawa Senators and I said you know we've come to that time of year where we have to talk about firing the coach and so like morning CDC Ottawa morning is not sort of heavy sports analysis. This is a this is a local yeah you know talk about politics and gardening and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and so it's it's a little bit more high level hockey stuff, not so in depth. But it sounded like a crazy prediction to make, like a crazy prediction to make. But it kind of felt like that's what they had to do. And I I all I could think of is Brian Murray didn't want to he's not going to be happy about this. And he's going to want to do something to shake up the team. He's going to fire the coach and they fired him the next day. And so of course at CBC, they're they like, Oh my God, she's an insider. <laughs> so like, they just kept inviting me back. And through that, I started, you know, popping up here, there and everywhere. And and then social media became a big deal. And I, I mean, I have to give the big shout out to Ian Mendez who you know you may have noticed is also a brown person and (laughs) for me i mean i watched ian on um he was on sportsnet before and and he used to be i I can't remember if he was like director of communications or media relations with the ottawa senators and so he used to do uh, there's like a cable 22 like our uh, public access cable channel like ottawa senators weekly show and i mean for me it was like crazy to see a brown person talking about hockey because that had never happened before nobody on hockey night in Canada certainly there was never a female voice and very much it was a white male uh on-air uh team no matter what so Ian Mendez coming onto the scene was like the wow that's different I've never seen anybody like that before and so that was such a huge deal, and then he had started uh, uh, doing a weekly. In addition to his radio regular radio stuff, he started a weekly thing where he had a bunch of um, social media people on. Um, he'd invited a whole bunch of people for just like a one-hour segment, and so he yeah. had uh, me and Michaela on because he wanted to have um, two. He had invited two female. Um, social I I don't want to use what was the word that he used bloggers I guess although I'm not really a blogger Um, (laughs) and I remember we did the show with him and it was really it was it was great it was a really great convert I mean he's such a he's such a great interviewer and he's so engaging to talk to you know and so we had a great conversation and then I remember that night I was meeting my brother. It was like one of the Star Wars movies was coming out, and we were going to like a midnight showing and out in Canada. And by the time I got to Canada, I had an email from Ian saying that sh- that we had recorded that show earlier that day. And he's like, I played it for JR, and we'd like to offer you and Michaela a weekly. Uh, sports show which is kind of crazy if you think about it yeah neither of us has any training we we didn't I did one year of uh, journalism and then switched to a different program in university so and professionally it's you know I'm a public servant I'm not a radio person and uh, or a media person but anyways it seems to have worked out yeah we're really we're really lucky because for both of us I mean it's not our it's not our primary job. So something like this doesn't have the impact that it does on, on people who depend on sports for their livelihood. Um, but it's a great outlet for me because no kidding. sometimes I get really angry and sometimes I get really <laughs> sad and sometimes I get really mad and I have to talk about it. So, I mean, in terms of being, you know, when they talk about allies and, and, someone has to champion like i know some people will get upset saying you know you shouldn't be attributing any kind of success that you've had to a male or whatever but i can't not do it right because uh because you do you in in opening doors for people like me to do what nobody would picture you know nobody would picture an immigrant girl from Bangladesh with zero training in media or radio or whatever, why would anybody turn their airwaves over to somebody like me, let alone somebody who's, who's, you know, not like trying to do this for a living. We know how things have looked in hockey night in Canada for years and years and years. Hopefully that'll change. I mean, Again, when you talk about paradigm-shifting moments, Don Cherry getting fired is something that I could not have conceived of ever happening in my lifetime, and it happened. So I think that's a moment for, you know, I know it shook sort of Hockey Night in Canada to its core, but that's not a bad thing. And, uh, you know, we saw, it. was it in early March? I think it was the week before everything melted down. They had the NBC All Women's, right it was sports about they gave they gave a show a hockey show the entire broadcast all women and then it was awesome yeah we we ruined sports (laughs) when when ian announced that that we were starting our own show there was somebody that sent a tweet to the radio station saying two girls they'll ruin sports and i mean (laughs) we've used that line so many times that we're just here to ruin sports so uh, like it's funny i've i've made the switch from when i was younger not wanting to draw attention to the fact to, that i'm a girl and also brown now now i mean it's in my it's in my handle it's something that i have no issues uh i mean I, I can't change it i can't hide it right if right if you're gonna hear me talk you're gonna assume that i'm a girl and i think and if you see me it's it's evident that i have brown skin i can't change that but that's okay
0: Mm-hmm. yeah ian so, does a f- oh sorry I, I couldn't hear you so no go ahead go
1: ahead Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no no i
0: was just gonna say ian mendez is a phenomenal guy he's helped me a ton just a genuine human being uh i wanted he's, to ask and he's sorry.
1: by the way just like he's exactly like that in real life yeah
0: like, he's definitely. such a
1: nice guy it's it's a bit disgusting actually yeah
0: it's almost surprising eh it's like yeah
1: it's, it's, it's not like... a it's not a per, it's not an on-air thing and I mean you know there's Ian but the whole station has been uh whether it's JR or any of the guys they've been nothing but we're really really lucky because I know and I hear stories from and you see it in the in articles about Uh, inappropriate uh, actions or inappropriate behavior or, you know, just straight up sexist and misogynistic behavior towards female journalists. And I'm not even close to doing this full time or in any kind of regular or meaningful way, but even in the tiny, tiny little entry That I've had into this world people have been phenomenally nice open um, and and not like that so I count myself as being lucky though because I know that that's not the case or experience for a lot of people and I should also say I mean it's not like I'm up in the press box um, or traveling around so I don't know I can only speak to what my experience has been like, and so that's, you know, hopefully, and hopefully by having more people like us do things like this, it'll make it easier for the next generation, and that's kind of, I guess, all we can hope for.
0: Yeah, I I was going to ask you because it it sounds like being the brown girl in the rink went from being a kind of place of loneliness and isolation to a place of real personal empowerment. And in order for us to make hockey as inclusive as it can be and for it to be that place of empowerment for minorities, does it just come down to representation like you were saying?
1: I think so because I think you don't picture yourself doing something until you see somebody that looks like you doing it. Right. And I did do a year of journalism. And I remember my TA was a guy that his his uh, he was a master's student and at the Carleton University Journalism uh, program, if you're in the master's program, they give you an internship and his internship was with the Hockey News. So I wanted to be in this TA's class because I thought, oh, my God, like, to- like, who wants to work for the Globe and Mail? I want a, I want an internship yeah. at the Hockey News. And, you know, it was it was something where it just seemed like I'll never get that internship. It'll just never happen. And I always think, you know, even my relationship with Don Cherry, like everybody else when I was a kid, I mean, he was the god. Everybody listened to him. You stopped what you were doing to make sure you watched Coach's Corner. And so when they talk about how you internalize messages without even realizing it especially when you're a kid I mean he used to say things like women are delicate flowers and they shouldn't be in the dressing rooms and and there was some controversy I remember about um, uh, a woman reporter that was in a dressing room and a, somebody as uh, an athlete had said something and he made that comment and I, I remember thinking you know how would I have internalized that type of message as a kid I think it would have told me that oh okay that's that's a man's domain and I shouldn't be there. And, you know, I, I decided not to continue in journalism. I did something else instead, but, and I'm not saying that this had anything to do with it, but I think those types of messages stick with you. So again, if you, if you, you know, they say, if you can't see it, you're, or you can't be it, if you can't see it. I Mm -hmm. think that's so important. And I, uh, that's the only thing I have, to offer because i certainly don't have any professional training or or (laughs) you know long time experience to offer to anybody but that's the one thing i could could say is maybe somebody you know i grew up when we didn't even have sports radio let alone a girl on sports radio in ottawa so if you i would only associate that as being a domain for men only and having different kinds of voices or people who look different whether it's skin color or lifestyle or sexual orientation or whatever the case may be if it tells that little kid you know, the little brown girl can be looking and seeing that and saying, oh, okay, I can be on television and I can call a hockey game and this is a place that women can also work. I think that's really important. And so, the it, to me, it's crazy that it takes stuff like that and that it's 2020 and we're talking about, you know, something being a man's domain. It's insane because in any other place I mean it would be wrong for somebody to say oh you can't work here because you're brown or you can't work here because you're a woman yeah. but for some reason it's been okay to to say that and think that in in uh, hockey in the hockey media world and so that's I think a really positive outcome and there's no way you can't associate the fact that of Don Cherry getting fired in November and a few months later, here we are having all-female broadcasts, there's nobody that's going to convince me that those two things are not related. The, the all-women broadcast, there's no way that that happens if Don Cherry's on the air every Saturday. No Definitely not. way at all. So good. But it took way too long for that guy to get fired. Way too <laughs> long.
0: Yeah, it it was time. Even as someone like myself who um just being a white male, I've never been on the receiving end of one of his insensitive comments, but as someone who grew up like like you, like as as a fan of Don Cherry, I just watched his sort of decline over the last, you know, few years of his career and it just felt like it was time. It felt like the game had passed him by, you know. So so I, I do not think you're wrong there at all. And what you said about representation, about opening doors, again, that's something I've never experienced, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a white dude from Northern Ontario, you know, I've never been discriminated against in my life. So I, I can't imagine what it must have been like for, for someone like Ian to, you know, to open those doors for you and then to personally reach out to you and, and give you that kind of platform. That, that must have been pretty special.
1: No, for, for sure. And again, without that door being opened, I'm just some guy on Twitter sending out a lot <laughs> of angry tweets. So, you know, kudos to him for wrecking. I think the, the big thing with him is wanting to bring those voices into the realm of, of TSN 1200. And he was the, the right guy to do it. And the right guy at the right time and i think that's really important and you know we're certainly grateful to him for that and and but the whole station has been sort of they they champion that and they get we still get tweets you know the stupid hockey girls on the air and stuff like that but they're they have our backs which has been really really good but i mean th- those are the, the people that make comments like that they're so they stick out like a sore thumb it's not like it's a it's a never-ending stream of abuse I think we're lucky that we're in mild-mannered Ottawa that helps a lot um, and you know I, I guess we're not looking obviously like we're taking away the jobs of that are that rightfully belong to men I don't know what the case how people feel about that. But uh, we certainly because because it's not just, you know, I, I think when I was younger, the thing that would bother me the most is the idea that, well, because I'm a girl, I'm somehow experiencing hockey in a different way from everybody else. And those kinds of things used to really bother me. And again, I don't know that I can say that I am or I'm not. I'm experiencing it the way that I experience it. And being a girl and being brown is part of that. So maybe it's different than somebody else, but probably not. I, if one thing social media has taught me, it's like to me, when Twitter became a thing, I think I originally joined Twitter, it was more as a work thing. And then I remember I found so you know I was I work in politics, so I was following it for political stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I came across, Bob McKenzie had a Twitter account. So I, and then all of a sudden I, and then, you know, it's funny how sends Twitter has sort of evolved, right? Because we all kind of, everybody has their own little personalities and we all, you know, we all follow each other. And when it's a sends game, it's become part of the experiences to also be on Twitter and see what people are saying. And when something big happens, that's the group I go to, to want to share it with, in addition to if I'm at a game and I'm with my friends and fans, and sometimes it's really funny because at least once or twice a year, there's a group of us um, from Ottawa that are all part of Sense Twitter and we make a point of meeting up for games or we go to games together. And, you know, we all joke about, okay, everybody get out, get, get your phones out so we can talk to each other. You know? <laughs> but uh, I think the big thing for me is, you know, for a long time, I felt like I'm the only person that feels this way about Daniel Alfredson, like nobody else feels this way. And, or I'm the only person that that goes insane when Jason Spezza does one of those blind passes. And then you're on Twitter going, Oh my God, there's other people that think like me. It was a very, uh, I felt it really brought a lot of people together. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I felt it like a unifying thing. I, I, you know, we've all seen the bad side of it, of social media as well. But then again, I mean, through this whole uh, pandemic with uh, hockey players being um, not as easy to control and manage by their own hockey teams and their own PR people, it's been very interesting to see how their personalities have come out and how their opinions have come out in this uh, you know current time of great turmoil in the world and lo and behold it seems like they're not this homogenous uh, completely devoid of personality or opinions group of people very very interesting to me how that has come about we're learning a lot about them
0: yeah no and like you said about uh our sense Twitter, I love our big sense Twitter family. It's been something that's, you know, like you said, it's had a unifying effect. It's helped me kind of deal with all the different anxieties and stresses of our current situation. So I love it. it it's almost like a refuge for me. And Shaila, you are one of my favorite follows on it. So thank you for doing this. It's been awesome chatting with you.
1: Oh, thank you for letting me talk for <laughs> way too long. <laughs> it's been a
0: while, clearly. Hey, I. I, I'm, ha- I'm happy to listen. Uh, <laughs> I've always kind of loved your takes on things, and I've, I've always loved your passion as a fan. So thank you again. And why don't you tell the people where they can find you on the socials and uh, when That's What She says on TSN 1200.
1: Well, we're, That's What She Said is normally on Friday nights at 6 p.m. We've been on hiatus because of the pandemic and uh, the lack of sports. But I imagine, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, things will start to get back to normal, um, slowly but surely. As a radio studio is a hard place to to do physical distancing no from, kidding. so so we're that's a bit of a challenge right now. But uh, hopefully we'll be back on the air soon. On social media, uh, you can find me, Brown Girl in the Rink. I think I'm Brown Girl in the Virtual Rink right now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And my handle is at feisty with not one, not two, but three Fs.
0: Make sure you hit Shiloh up on Twitter. Uh, pay your respects to the Queen of Sens Twitter. Folks, thank you for listening. As always, hit me up on Twitter at BrandonMackey6. Find the writing at silver 7 Make sure you rate the podcast five stars. Share it with your friends and subscribe. If you're going out, make sure it's with that social circle of no more than 10 people. Otherwise, stay healthy and stay safe. We'll catch you next week for episode 23. Take care, y'all.